Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. Today we speak to a remarkable woman, mother, academic, adventurer and athlete. Her name is Rowan Brooks. We chat to her amidst the current Victorian lockdown as we're recording mid-August. She talks about navigating this new pandemic era and how she has adapted her training and her approach to planning adventures. Rowan has an incredible adventure and athletic resume, covering ultra-distance trail running, bikepacking, adventure racing, and multi-day hiking, amongst others. She recently came off a solo hike of the Lara Pinta Trail, and we cover some incredibly interesting aspects of her approach to the outdoors, including balancing full-time work and family, mental health, injury, and environmental stewardship. We are so grateful for Rowan's time today. She has a truly grounded and insightful outlook on life and adventure. Cue the music with Kristen. Welcome to episode nine of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. My name is Sarah Pendergrass and I am here as always with my co-host Kristen Morton. Hello. Today we are joined by a friend of mine who I met in 2019 at the stage race Run Lara Pinta. Her name is Rowan Bricks. Welcome Rowan. Hello, kia ora. Thank, thank you so much for coming on today. I just want to start by not listing, but mentioning a few of Rowan's accolades so you get a picture of the incredible woman that she is. So Rowan is a wife, she is a mother of three, an academic, a leadership educator, change maker, and the reason that we really have her here, she is an incredible athlete and adventurer. So Rowan has a vast athletic and adventure resume. She's completed numerous ultra distance trail races, including Surf Coast Century 100 kilometers, Old Ghost Road 85, which funnily enough, I was signed up for this year, but obviously we couldn't get to New Zealand. Um, she's an accomplished adventure racer. She's completed Terranova 24 hour, the Alpine Challenge 36 hour. She's also completed New Zealand's iconic coast to coast two day event, which we've mentioned on the, on the podcast previously. From a bikepacking point of view, she's completed the Victoria Divide by 50 and also the Goldfields Trail. And we actually had a psychologist on recently who's going for the FKT on the Goldfields Trail on foot. Um, she recently hiked the Lara Pinta Trail solo. And Ro, we're so honored to have you here to chat all things adventure and outdoors today. Super excited to be joining you both. It's quite a resume. My goodness. <laughs> when you say it like that, it, like, do you look back on all of that and go, oh, yeah, wow. When you, when you list it out, that's quite a bit. Look, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is amazing to see all the things we can accomplish. And um, I love uh, when I love thinking back on on some of these adventures and the people I've met and the places I've been able to go. Um, and it just always makes me feel like wanting to do more. So listening to that list, it was like, okay, what's next? <laughs> that's it. Yeah. it's oh, it, And that's always the never ending question, right? Is what's yeah. next? <laughs> yeah. And I guess to set the scene as well, we should mention that um, Rowan is currently in lockdown in Victoria. So I'm sure we will touch on that and what that means for adventuring as well. Mm. So to start with, we like to settle in with some quick fire questions. 
I typically say quick fire is one word answer. Kristen's like, no, I want the story. <laughs> so whatever you want, is absolutely fine. <laughs> the first one is if you could only choose the ocean or the mountains for the rest of your life, which would it be? Absolutely. The ocean, just because that's where I've made my home is just a few hundred meters from the beautiful ocean. And I find it just brings me so much solace and joy and harmony for the rest of my life. Love it. And just a quick one there too. Whereabouts are you, Ro? Yeah, I live outside of Melbourne on the Mornington Peninsula in a tiny little village called Summers. Uh, We've got um, one shop and a bunch of koalas. um, And it's just a really peaceful, lovely existence out here. The Mornington Peninsula is beautiful. So yeah, we had a friend that uh, lived, his, he grew up there. And so we went and visited his family. It is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. so that's an awesome place of the world to be. All right, if you came across a genie who was to grant you three wishes, what would they be? Far out. Uh, I thought this was quick fire questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the ability to manipulate time would be my first thing because I feel like I'm always um, at war with time and having a battle with time. So I'd love to be able to manipulate that. Um, the ability to hold my um, babies, having just been newly born again, would probably be my second thing. Um, just a moment that is passing and such a fleeting thing. And um, health, just to be healthy. Yeah, such an important part of um, what always sits behind, you know, a a good adventure um, and the ability to be able to connect with our friends and loved ones and and perform well in life is our health. Yeah, such an important one always and especially at this time. So this is a very intellectual one. The question is pineapple on pizza, hell's yeah or hell's no? Oh, hells yeah. I'm always yeah. stealing my children. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that's going when my kids get the Hawaiian pizza stealing slices. So. <laughs> I can't I order one for myself. Yeah, I'm going to find somebody who says hells no. <laughs> yes, see, I'm, I'm definitely a yes and Kristen's a no, so you're my team here. <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, what's the most memorable place that you've camped? I um, hands down um, on my recent trip um, on Larapinta Trail, a place called Counts Point. Um, I got like the premier sweet camping spot when I turned up there. I was the first person at the site and got to watch the sun go down looking across the uh, West McDonald's ranges and then, um, you know, the dawn rise the next morning. And it was just the most glorious thing I've ever witnessed. I I cried watching it, like literally <laughs> wept like a baby as the sun came up because I've never seen something so splendid. Um, I can't even say the word um, now. Splendid is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's, yeah, that's awesome. But we were just about to do the, Lara- well, my husband and I were about to do the Larapinta Trail, but it was just, mm. it was going to be too much, with too little time. We didn't, we wanted to do it appropriately, but I'm sure we'll talk about your experience there too. That's awesome. And then this final one, actually, Kristen, I'm going to throw this to you because you asked this well when it comes to compassion. Yeah. So we had a uh, sports psychologist on a couple episodes ago. It hasn't been released yet. And one of the things that we were talking about with Luke was uh, the ability, which is a, a sort of a practice to give yourself some self-compassion. So if you were to give yourself a compliment, what would it be? Um, rapid fire. The first thing that came to my mind 
you have a strong body. Awesome. Beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. All right. That is the end of the quick fire questions. So thank you. You made it through. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So again, just to introduce everybody, like I, this is the first time that I've ever spoken to you. I've done a little bit of research about you and Sarah was like, Oh, we should get real on the podcast. And I went, Hell yeah. (laughs) But I don't know too much about your background. Um, So I always like to kind of open the floor to people in as many or little words as you'd like. Just kind of a rundown of your origin story of how you got to be where you are today. Mm, um, I have to talk about, I think how I got to be where I am today um, started in my teenage years. um, And I was really struggling with life um, through my sort of ages of 13 through to 15. Um, I was uh, self-medicating with a lot of drugs and alcohol and involved in a lot of activities that were illegal um, through that time and and really just um, life was tough and hard and I didn't make it any easier on myself through the things I was engaging with. And I found out about a course um, that my then um, boyfriend had done called Outward Bound, um, which is a, a New Zealand is a three week course where a bunch of people will go along and, um, you know, enter into sort of a real um, amazing outdoor journey together over a three week period and doing that course just transformed my life. Um, I, I did not leave the same person that I started with and as and um, from that point onwards started to uh, look and find outdoor experiences so um, somehow I found myself um, roaming around the campus of Auckland University in New Zealand and I'd left school at at 15, um, so I don't know what I was doing on a university campus. I I think I was looking for illegal things, probably. (laughs) And and I saw an advert for the rock climbing club, um, which was called ORAC, and um, decided to sign up and and do rock climbing. Um, And through that, just met this incredible group of inspiring uh, people who um, taught me about rock climbing, they introduced me to mountain biking um, and hiking and just all of the wonderful um, adrenaline related outdoor activities. And, and of course, they were all at university themselves. So they were role models for me, um, who, you know, as someone who had left education and that just my whole my whole life just transformed really through the outdoors. Um, fast forward, I guess quite a few years um, to being a young mum and really um, finding it really hard um, as a young mum in a new country. And I was really, uh, I had postnatal depression with my first two kids. And by the third one, I was going, I don't know, you know, I need to find a different way to engage with life. And I thought back and and was like, when was I most happy? And I realized it was being in the outdoors. And so I started engaging with the outdoors again. I had a long hiatus while I was raising my kids. Um, and then I started running again. And uh, well, running full stop, I guess I'd say I started running because it was the um, activity that was available for free and I could step out the door I didn't know really that much base fitness or knowledge um, and so yeah just uh, started dabbling in fitness and running and started feeling so much better about myself and about life and again just meeting a beautiful community of people through that activity um, so my 
origin story around um, how I've sort of forged the path I have in my my entire life. I put down to that first choice to start engaging with the outdoors um, back as a teenager um, and sort of the sense of wellness, the self-esteem and the community that I was able to engage with through the outdoors has meant I've been able to um, craft not only, you know, a wonderful adventurous life, but also, um, you know, my, my whole academic career and, you know, meet my husband and, and meet an incredible community of people through sport. Incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that, Rowan. I think we talked a little bit yesterday before um, this podcast and we were, we were talking a little bit about themes that come through. And one that I didn't mention to you is mental health. And for so many of us, really, I mean, we all have different whys, but that mental health side of things, being outdoors, being in nature, moving is just so critical. And yeah, so thank you for, thank you for talking about that. Um, what next? <laughs> Where do you want to go? Yeah, there's so many ways to go. I guess <laughs> what, what brought you from New Zealand to Australia originally? Um, originally, I moved to uh, do my PhD. Um, so, you know, my, I guess it, it probably talking about origin stories again, it might be helpful to talk about my purpose um, in, more broadly in life. And that is that um, knowledge and connection come from a wildlife. So that transfers both from my, um, you know, my pleasure time, which is all around thinking about adventures and being outdoors, also through to my career. Um, so I moved over to Australia um or oh, 16 years ago now to do a PhD in ecology so um I've really um crafted my career around um environment and around science and educating people yeah cool and um so when we're talking about all of these adventures we're talking about mental health I would like to touch a little bit on lockdown because this is something we haven't really discussed on the podcast that much, but it's something, it's a global pandemic. It's, it's affected everyone to some extent. I believe we talked about your inversion 6.0 of lockdown. Um, <laughs> you, we, I'd love to come on to talk about your, your Lara Pinta adventure, but in terms of what have you, how have you been coping with lockdown? How has it made you reframe adventure what kind of adaptations have you taken on to to get through it? Because mental health, when you can't get outside like you normally are, is a huge factor. Yeah, so we're just entering out. This is our 201 day of lockdown here in Victoria. So um, that's over, you know, just over 18 months, uh, over an 18 month period. So you, there is so many things that I think I had to install in myself to um, help cope through lockdown. It's today, I'm actually having what I'm calling a lemon off with my neighbor. We've both got free lemons on the verge and I'm having a competition that he doesn't know about to see whose lemons get taken first. Um, so <laughs> if you want to talk about someone's mental state, <laughs> that's about what that's my mental state is like. Yeah. But look, it's, it's so, um, it's really been around trying to, um, be, be as adaptable and flexible as possible about the way that I create adventures for myself um, through this this time. Last weekend, it was around um, doing a massive Zwift ride um, on my stationary trainer. I, I did a sort of seven hour ride to get some silly little badge 
bit of um yeah <laughs> I is... saw that it's just so for, I don't know for anyone who hasn't sat on Zwift which is a virtual ride game if you're not familiar with it you're sitting on your stationary trainer you're probably indoors I'm not sure maybe we're on a deck or at your home anyway you're not moving anywhere you're looking at the screen and you are pedaling there is no coasting you are pedaling for seven hours and you didn't just do seven hours you chose like every hill in this virtual game as far as I'm aware as well yeah chose every single hill yeah you're right and, yeah <laughs> so that's you know what the what's sitting behind that though is just finding things to challenge myself um in any which way possible so I've done some silly um David Goggins challenge which was around like running every I think it was every three hours for four four hours for 48 hours um of a set duration um as soon as restrictions change um you know i might um, plan an adventure so as an example of that in between a couple of lockdowns last year i went and did with a friend of mine we did a fastest snow and attempt run around the mornington peninsula which was a 95k run and that was purely around the fact that we couldn't i don't think we could travel regionally at that particular point in time so it was like okay like let's find something that we can do with one other person uh, that's close by that's on the doorstep and 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 that we can actually execute so there's a, a big thing around thinking about what's possible or what's not um and then reframing i guess i at, when i entered lockdown i would have called myself an, a, an endurance runner um um i'm i wouldn't quite call myself that now uh because of um various things that have happened through the lockdown period but i i found things that i could um again challenge myself like i tried the fastest 5k um which i completely failed and bombed at but for me it was around um i didn't achieve the goal time that i wanted to which was a really hum like not not a fast goal time but it was about like showing up and being accountable to myself um, through that time doing something that I could do rather than thinking about all the things I couldn't do. Um, so there's been a huge journey um, through it and sometimes it just also just sucks um, because there's a world out there that I can't engage with or other people in lockdown can't engage with and recognizing the suck and being okay with that too. Yeah, I think it's it's such an important point is that it is okay, that it's not okay. Like a lot of people mm. are feeling it. You're doing everything you can to be in a good frame of mind. But you know what? Some days like that's, we've been so fortunate in Queensland. We haven't had anything like that length of lockdown at all. Um, and when we did last week, to be honest, it was just really sunny. And I think I just lay on my deck and did some yoga and it wasn't too stressful. Whereas knowing day after day that you have those restrictions is incredibly hard. And even, I mean, what you've been achieving with those challenges is awesome in itself, to be honest. And it's something you'll look back on and think, wow, I did those crazy things. How cool. Um, but I know that even though you made it to the Lara Pinta Trail, you mentioned that that in itself was impacted by lockdowns. And what had been planned as a group adventure turned into a solo adventure. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and maybe just intro the trail and then your experience? Yeah, thanks. Um, the Lara Pinta Trail is a trail that goes um, from Telegraph Station in Alice Springs to Mount Sonda in the Northern Territory. Uh, and it's, I think it's 235 k's. The distance keeps changing as they change the trail around. So apologies to anyone that likes numbers if I get that wrong, but roughly around that distance. Um, 
and it's uh, it's an incredible trail. It goes through the most stunning country, um, the Arunda people's country. Um, there is, you know, beautiful majestic peaks um, or Australian peaks. If there's any international people, they don't. I think about fourteen hundred meters is, is the high point or so. It's not very high. Um, your beautiful waterholes, you know, sandy desert plains, um, incredible ranges. It's just, um, it's amazing country that visually is spectacular. Red earth, blue skies, and um, incredible flora all the way throughout. Um, so this was uh, returning to do the Lara Pinta has been something I've wanted to do since I met you, uh, Sarah, uh, when we were running it um, back back well, I think three years ago, and yeah, it was such 2019, an, but it was twenty eighteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the. Um, I'd planned to go back with friends, uh, two um, wonderful girlfriends who live in New South Wales, and they were locked down first um, before me and um, had to make the really hard call whether or not I waited till um, their lockdown ended or just to forge ahead and, and go. I haven't done a solo trip uh, myself since I was 18 or so, and so it was a really quite a hard decision, and my family weren't very happy with the idea that I was going to um, disappear into the wilderness by myself, so got a bit of pressure for a while that I, I really was putting myself at risk, but felt really confident comfortable I love being in the outdoors, and, I, and when I'm out there, I don't ever feel like I'm at risk. I know, um, you know, I've got great wilderness first aid, I know how to take sensible decisions and, um, you know, know how to map read and use all my, all my gear really well. So I felt confident enough to, to forge ahead and, and um, to go and do the trail. Uh, it was um, very dicey. You know, Australia has been through rolling lockdowns at the moment. And, you know, as you heard at the start, like you've just had your trip um, cancelled to, to the Larapinta Trail. Yeah. <laughs> So it's so it's so hard to get into state at the moment, but forged ahead and, and was really uh, glad that I I made it there. Um, but it was a real journey to to do this um, particular trail by myself. Um, I was wasn't sure how many days it would take me. It was going to be a fourteen day trip with my girlfriends, but once I started doing the trail, I just realized that waking up uh, pre dawn and walking for the entire day felt really good and felt really empowering. So I ended up um, finishing it in ten days, um, wow. which sort of means um, mostly doing sort of nine and a half hour days of hiking sort of right from as soon as dawn hits at 7am and then hiking through to 5.30pm at night um, to make sure that the um, I've got to the campsite in good time and can get my tent up, have dinner before it goes dark around 6.30. So it was, it was a really epic, incredible trip. Incredible. Those are huge days that really, you, you mentioned when we talked that when we raced that stage race, we just missed so much because we were running. Um, and we also just <laughs> ran sections. We didn't cover the whole trail. So it must have been incredibly special to go back and have that time just and on your own as well to really take it in because there's no distraction. It's, it's you and it's the landscape around you. Yeah, it's so true. Um, one of my the things I found hardest when we did the stage race together, Sarah, was I found myself in first place. And it's probably the only ever time I'll find myself in a first place of a race 
for. And the thing I found most difficult was that meant I couldn't stop and look around <laughs> just the whole way. I was like, look at that beautiful view and I have to keep running and all I want to do is stop and enjoy. So that experience was the thing that really motivated me to go back and, and take my time. Um, and it was funny that I sort of still couldn't really drop the idea of doing it in a race in terms of like I just had to keep moving and moving and, and doing it relatively fast uh, so that was an interesting thing to observe in myself but uh, just marvelous to be in that that particular landscape while I was there Melbourne went into lockdown and it was um, a real worry um, that um, that I'd get plucked off the trail. So the lockdown previously, they, that, that's, that is what had happened in the Northern Territory as they came, um, parks came in and took hikers off and tested them. And then uh, once they got a negative test of COVID, they'd put them back on the trail where they were. And so the day I found out that lockdown had come in, I sort of basically hightailed it to the furthest place I could away from a trailhead because I was so fearful that I won my, be taken off and two that you know it might mean that I mightn't complete it I wanted to get more kilometers um, under my belt just in case I did, did, did get pulled off the trail for a bit yeah that's a whole other element oh my gosh. I haven't ever had to contemplate on a hike that you yeah. might get pulled off the trail and tested and it's just did it like were you able to relax or was there always that in the back of your mind I just find movement relaxing, just full stop. So yeah, just totally just being out there and moving um, very much so. But there was, the way the Larapinta works is there's like a trail telegraph that goes from one end of the trail to the other because you've got people hiking in both directions. Um, so whenever you meet someone and come across them, you have an exchange, which is essentially where have you come from, where are you going to, and what piece of vital information do you need to hear? And so as soon as the, you know lockdowns happened in different states, that started to enter into the, the conversation and people would pass the information from one to the other. Uh, it's a really beautiful tradition on that trail, I think, um, the way that all of the hikers just really want to help each other and help make sure each other's informed and knowledgeable about what's coming up ahead. Yeah, I, I have heard that that also happens on the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail, of like all these little things that keep, you know, all the messages that keep going through everybody. So that's pretty cool. Um, you mentioned that you got a little bit of, I guess, pushback from your family when you were deciding to do it solo. Being a mom of three kids as well, I don't know how old your kids are, but how do you explain, you know, what mom's about to go do and do they have an impact on any sort of your adventuring? Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, my kids have total imp impact on every aspect of my adventuring. Um, I started, um, when I first started running, like I said, it was when one of my uh, last child was really born and so that was around doing short impactful stuff and as the children have grown grown older they're uh, 15 13 and 10 now it's meant that I've been able to extend the duration of the types of things that I'm able to go and do so um, you know that's when I started when they got a bit older and not so difficult to leave behind with my husband um, that was when I started entering more multi-day events um, and designing longer adventures. They they kind of pretty they 
they're pretty used to me um, now. They've, it's been a number of years for them, but they've got some weird concepts about distance. So, you know, a little while ago in late 2019, I did this 250K um, five-day run, which was um, just just for me, uh, you know, outside of events. And the conversation with them leading up to it, I left on Boxing Day um, and, and said goodbye. And they're kind of like, ho-hum, you know, whatever, mum, off you go. <laughs> like they don't, they can't, in their minds, they can't conceive of how long that 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 distance actually is and the impacts and how tired it is. And, you know, there's been times when I've finished races, like ultra marathons. And my youngest child will walk straight up and go, you know, hey, mum, I'm really hungry, you know. <laughs> and, um, and it's like that's the first thing, you know, they, 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 they have a concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's family life and adventuring is a constant negotiation. Like, um, you know, like there's a million and one things I'd like to do. I would wish I could go and spend every single one of my weekends or holidays off adventuring, but that's just impossible. Um, so it's around um, really a fine balancing act of negotiating with my husband um, for time away, making sure that I'm having enough in time with each of the kids and also trying to encourage them into outdoor activities as well. So one of the next things that I'm going to do is a um, mother-daughter weekend with uh, my middle child to go hiking into the high country as soon as the snow has stopped. And we'll take a few other, you know, of my friends and their daughters along as well. So trying to really balance was uh, and my own adventures and also make sure that I don't um, break myself too along the way because, you know, coming back completely wrecked and not able to function well in the family um, has huge impacts on everyone. Um, I recently broke my hand really badly mountain biking while I was training up for an adventure race, which meant that I couldn't cook dinner for three months. And I thought, you know, <laughs> that's kind of awesome um, in some ways, but my poor husband, um, you know, was on dinner duty for three whole months. And so there's, you know, the physical me impacts on on the family not just you know the the impact of my time and being away um as well so it's yeah i'd say it's a fine fine balance yeah that's huge and i i did note i think i know you don't post too much to instagram but i think you commented that hiking larrikin to trail was the perfect way to recover with a broken hand <laughs> I thought, this is an endurance athlete that's doing a 250 kilometer hike is a perfect way to recover <laughs> I mean, that was one of the other reasons why everyone thought I was a bit mad heading off on that was, um, you know, my hand was still swollen and I was still having to wear a cast at, at night times. And um, it turns out that holding a hiking pole um, for 10 days straight is actually a good way to reduce swelling in your hands. Like who knew? Um, <laughs> like built PT, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> How to do right. your grip strength and all that. Yep. <laughs> I'm glad it went that way. And also in defense of your children who don't necessarily have a concept of distance, I would say there are many people out there that when you talk and say, oh, I ran 50K, I'm like, oh, cool, yeah, I, no, I've run a marathon or they've done 5K and have been confused about how far it is. So your children are not alone. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> I um, once listened to a podcast as well that was talking about um, 
it was a really maybe like a hundred mile distance and they had a few people on and they were getting everybody's perspective on, you know, what's the best way to start training up for this, you know, hundred mile race. And one of the comments was, you got to build up your favors with your family. So like you do a ton of stuff beforehand. You've got to go into the bank knowing that all of your favors have been drained and then you've got to dump back into the bucket after. So it's all that balancing act of everything and just making sure. I yeah, thought it was a really so relevant true. comment. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. I'm begging my husband at the moment to organize himself a boys weekend away because I'm <laughs> trying to get some points up so yeah, I can absolutely. go out and start organizing my next trip. Yeah. It's so, not yeah. happening fast enough. Yeah. You're like, you should go, sweetie. And then, hey, remember that one time that you went for that trip? Now it's my turn. <laughs> I think that's a very natural dynamic. I also love that you talk about adventuring with your daughter as well. Do your children show an interest in the types of adventures you're doing? Uh, look, that's an interesting thing. Um, I, I would have hoped, um, I, like I would have been able to role model for them a lot more around engaging with the outdoors. Um, my youngest is point blank, uh, refused to go on any more hikes with us. We, um, so she, she's the 10 year old. And um, we, we did a year um, to, in 2019 where we went on three overnight hikes um, with her, one of them, a three night hike. And I think we um, broke her spirit uh, by doing a little bit too much with, for her little legs and she's just dug her heels in. So I'm trying to negotiate with them at the moment around um, planning another family hike with, with the whole five of us going. I think it's the most magical thing to do together. And I just love curling up in the tent with my kids on either side of me and, you know, in some remote location. My daughter, she always takes her four little toy bunny rabbits with her on all of our hikes. They, they you know, we have to make room for them. It's just the most... Um, incredible experience to share as a family unit but um they don't always see it the same way so <laughs> I see it as a lifetime project uh, and I hope that all the influences that I've been able to have on them in these early years mean that you know that that's really their choice so we buy them like the top quality gear for their hiking in the hope that when they leave home and we give them their pack of you know beautiful sleeping bags and nice pack um, to take away with them that that sort of incentivizes them when they're poor students to start taking up some of those outdoor pursuits. So I see it as the long game with the kids and, um, you know, and have lots of dreams of some really extended trails when they get a bit older. That's that we awesome. Can share. Don't yeah. give up. My sister is the youngest of three and she was the one that needed to be dragged along. And now she's like always outside. So don't give up. <laughs> <laughs> she still remembers those hikes that she did get dragged on. She's like, man, I wish I could have, you know, been a little bit more appreciative while I was there, but she's making her own adventures now, which is awesome to see. Mm. So, yeah. Takes time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I was trying to think when I was little, we didn't really do adventure stuff. Like, they'll get there, I'm sure. You are an incredible role model for them. Um, you mentioned you very casually your 250 kilometer five day, I think you said run. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the bigger picture of that and how that links into your like scientific expertise, your environmental stewardship? Do you want to talk about, a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, so in 2019, um, I decided to take on a little uh, project with a, a group of friends. Um, 
sort of mentioned before, really my purpose is around um, connecting and knowledge and um, and wilderness. Um, so I had for a number of years been been teaching and I developed a degree for science, young scientists that were looking at doing change making type work and really felt like it was time to challenge myself and start to integrate both my endurance sport with uh, my love of sharing knowledge and inspiring other people to um you know to take on different challenges so with a, a group of friends and um, we came up with the tread lightly concept which was really about bringing um the idea of endurance sport and activity combined with sharing storytelling um, of environmental change in local areas and uh, partnering with you know talented individuals and companies that could support that that mission, and so the the first of those projects was uh, running a, a track called the Great Southwest Walk in Victoria, is near the border of South or just crosses over for a part of it into the border of South Australia, but primarily in Victoria. Um, it's an amazing amazing track that's um, not very used very much and came up with the idea of doing it over five days um, so that we could tell five different stories of environmental change in the area so we connected with one of the grassroots organizations there called nature glenelg who are doing incredible environmental restoration and they introduced us to different locals who are working on on country so um people working on uh, pest management, um, people working on restoration of different types of projects, some of the local indigenous elders there, and um, some waterways management as well. And so um, we ran that, or I ran that, uh, with the support of an amazing um, crew of people um, over that five-day period. It was, um, it's, it's really strange to look back on that now because it was a time where the world just totally changed on its axis. So, you know, we had the bushfires um, that started throughout that uh, run. Um, there, there had actually been a bushfire in that particular area just before I started the run. And then coming out of that, the, the awful devastation around Australia with the bushfires and then the advent of COVID starting to kick in. Um, so the the concept had always been about an extended project of running um, more more events throughout it, and we had an incredible uh, range of things that we were going to go and do, as everyone did at the start of 2020. It seemed to be a year of people planning projects for themselves and amazing adventures. Um, for that particular, you know, that started that new decade. And, and of course, um, none of them were able to happen because of, um, because of the COVID impacts that, that spread across Australia. Um, I also had to reassess myself going through that year because having three kids in homeschool um, and, you know, we're still very much in that place at the moment. But it's something that I'm really looking forward to picking up again uh, when the time is right and continue really that process of, of sharing stories about environmental change um, through endurance activities because it's, um, there's just, there's, it's, it's one of the most important issues that we face as human beings at the moment is really coming to understand the, you know, the cataclysmic, impacts of environmental change that are, that are occurring both through climate change but through a number of other 
associated or non-associated factors and for people that love the environment we just we all have to work out how we can play a role in in, in protecting um the environments that we love but all making sure that you know we are we basically all become activists i think is really one of the only ways um, knowing of course that there is huge corporate responsibility and governmental responsibility but individually we can't let ourselves off the hook and so it's up to us to be as informed as possible about what's going on um, which was really the, the aim of that project yeah it's an incredibly meaningful approach to endurance adventure that's for sure it's um yeah really i remember it really clearly when you were doing it and i think in all honesty at the time i was initially engaged because i was like oh my goodness she's running 250ks like that's a freaking long way and then to see that next really important layer with the environmental side of things is very special and definitely an inspiration to me to be more considerate about not necessarily the why of my adventure but how that activism role can come in as well for sure mm. with yeah it's like i'm sorry go ahead oh that's okay i was just going to ask with lockdown have you like been planning stuff for you know the inevitable when i keep saying when things open back up because it will be eventually um what you'd like to do with that project once you can do a little bit more with it mm. Um, I, I have frequent conversations with the people that supported that initial conversation about what, what the next steps are. And I think we just, we're on hold really. Um, there is yeah. some incredible wilderness areas across Australia um, in all different states. So the idea was always to do one in each different state um, across Australia. So sort of make, make, it, um, make six different projects that could tell the local environmental story. So I think we'll just, we'll pick up um, and start planning those. Uh, but, you know, there's this whole thing in that around, the reason why I'm being um, vague in that is I, I feel really strongly about not holding ourselves to these kind of rigid goals of um, life pre-pandemic or life pre-bushfires and um, and being really flexible and and because we can become so blind to other opportunities around us if we're like fixated on I must do it in this particular way so you know we were we were really almost to hit the go button to a Tasmania tread lightly um, project we had an incredible team of really amazing athletes um, and we had the corporate sponsors all ready to go um, and it would it wouldn't do it justice to try and pick that up two years later with so much history that has gone on um, between then and now. Um, so I, I think it will just be wait and see what the world looks like um, in six months, hopefully, <laughs> and then start planning. I think the the flip side of that, and I absolutely hear what you're saying with that. The flip side is I noted down and correct me if I'm wrong, but I noted that the philosophy was around environmental change. And I wrote down take three, which I assume is like the take three for the sea, pick up three pieces of litter, plant-based, sustainable outdoor gear, contributing to local organizations and staying local, ironically now. Um, all of those can come into day-to-day -day life as well. It doesn't need to be a big campaign. Like those philosophies in themselves are just really important things that we can be picking up regardless of the environment we're in. 
Yeah, absolutely. You're quite right. And that's what I mean about all of us becoming activists. So that doesn't necessarily mean we all need to hold placards, but it might be just a simple act of going, well, you know, I've just gone into a particular wilderness area. When I get home, I'm going to wash my shoes and make sure that I'm not spreading any, um, you know, seeds of any invasive species from that wilderness area into the next one or making a really conscious choice about the products we are uh, buying or or making sure you know we're not throwing them out as soon as there's a hole in them and and sort of repurposing and reusing things so i think there's there's um messages um that we we can all take responsibility for as people that love getting out there and adventuring yeah absolutely yeah that's all good and i i really want like that you did i just want to resonate on the point that if it does, you know, if stuff opens back up in, you know, maybe six months time, hopefully, <laughs> but things will look different. And I think that's like what you just said, it kind of, if we are so rigid about going back to pre-COVID times, like things are going to be different no matter what happens, right? Because we've all gone through this. So I think it's good. Like, it's just a really nice point that you've made to kind of keep your eyes open for new creative ways to do things as well. So I think that's really cool and very exciting, I'm sure, in a lot of different ways as well. Yeah, it's such a, um, it, like the, the, the environment is so expansive in terms of the things that are available and the creative ways we can engage with it. And it's a really interesting thing um, in different communities, in, in, in sort of sports communities in Australia, that we can become really kind of micro, and there can be a lot of microaggressions around, like, oh, I know you're doing, you're doing the adventure that I planned. Like, I wanted to be the fastest person to do that adventure, or the coolest person, or I don't know, you know, the youngest or oldest or whatever. And it's like the environment doesn't work that way. Like, it's not. There's just value in being there and engaging with it in whichever creative, humble slow, fast, you know, whatever way you want to. And I find it really intriguing to watch people um, behave in that way towards one another when everyone's just trying to get out there and to connect and do it for their own purpose and own reasons. Yeah, indeed. And even from like a trail user point of view, if you're a mountain biker or you're a trail runner, like there's enough out there for all of us to enjoy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm, I always find that interesting because I cross over so many different yeah. sports. So, you know, one day I'll be in my mountain biking gear riding the trails and there'll be a walker having a crack at me. <laughs> it's <laughs> like then the next day I'll be the walker. And, you know, it's like this is really it's really interesting to see the way people want to put each other in different buckets and um, compartmentalize each other. And there's a real lesson um, that can be taken on you know tolerance and acceptance and openness to others the other um from the way we all want to engage with the environment as well absolutely and i think that's part of the reason a lot of us actually love the trail community i'm using that broadly whether you're trail running or you're mountain biking yeah there's some conflict there but there does feel to be i would say a shared appreciation of the environment that we're in within that community and that's that's for me is a really important aspect of it Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned that you had hurt your hand. Um, I'm sure that there's been injuries that have come up for you as well. It's kind of a reoccurring thing of just being an ultra athlete of any sort. Um, I guess, how do you deal with injuries? Everybody kind of goes through them in, in different ways and stuff. Like, how do you manage that? Um, you talked about health being such a big, important thing for you. So how do you manage your health and, and injuries as they come up? Mm. 
Yeah, I guess I have a philosophy of trying to work with my body rather than um, against it. I, I really didn't start doing endurance activities until my late 30s, which meant that, you know, physically, of course, um, as a mum of, of three, um, my body was changing a lot at that particular point in time. So I entered the sport in a way that I had to be compassionate and mindful of what my body would and wouldn't do. And, and of my own physical limitations of starting sport at that particular time in my life. Um, I, um had i've had you know it's like most endurance athletes stacks of injuries and and found that really really frustrating because i tried to mitigate those injuries with everything possible you know doing regular strength and conditioning to support doing um like you know trying to trying to be mindful and listen to my body and what the messages were telling me and I still kept having reoccurring injuries um finally for me in in 2020 which was you know a crap year on so many levels um I found out um that I, I actually had um a sort of really major functional issue in my spine which was probably causing um, most of the issues that I was experiencing uh where two of the vertebrae well my vertebrae just are not in alignment and I just pretty much have no disc between in a really vital place in, in my lower back. Uh, and it all started to make sense um, from that point in time once I finally got that diagnosis. But it meant that I was told um, by my sports doctor that I really had to consider stopping endurance running. So um, my running career was very short-lived. It was really only uh, four years from when I did my first half marathon to, to getting that diagnosis. Uh, but I was really determined to not let that stop me engaging in endurance sports um, when I when I had that diagnosis. So first of all, I convinced him that I should be able to do bikepacking, mm -hmm. um, which was something I did a little bit in my late teens and hadn't done since then. And so, um, you know, I, he, I got the reluctant um, yes to that. Uh, and then gradually I was able to convince him that I should also be able to do, um, you know, in, uh, long form um, adventure race activities as well. Um, so for me, that you know, that particular diagnosis w w was like, okay, how do I, again, how do I think creatively and adapt um, and try and reframe what I can do rather than what I can't do? Um, and look for other opportunities and so you know it was um, it's been a thrill starting bikepacking um, and um, I'm really excited about a summer of bikepacking ahead and it's been really wonderful uh, over you know over time I guess starting to engage more closely with the adventure racing community as well who are just both of those communities just so many inspiring athletes that are just so ridiculously hardcore <laughs> just as like my goodness like who are these people um they all seem mildly insane and so impressive with the types of things that they can go and do and put themselves through so i just it's really exciting to learn new sports and um find new communities of people and you know just keep trying to flourish using um you know endurance sport is sort of the base it's beautiful yeah i think it's i mean first of all when you said about the future of your running i just felt Kristen flinch because that's not nice news to receive when running is such an important part of your life um but the way that you've adapted has been really inspiring you bikepacked the vic divide 550 which is no small undertaking let me tell you 
I haven't done it, but seeing the pictures and hearing about it, it's pretty gnarly in places. So that, that was an awesome one. And um, just in terms of, I can't talk to the adventure racing community, but when you talk about, say, these bikepacking people who are so crazy, they're doing such hardcore stuff. But coming back to community, I'd also say they're incredibly sharing of knowledge. And that's another beautiful thing about that off-road community too, that I find that people, it's not necessarily trying to get one up on anyone else. It's like, here's my experience and here's some advice, which is a really nice element of it too. So I'm so sorry for your running, but I'm so happy you're still able to stay in these amazing communities. Yeah, there's look, there's such an important thing around identity um, that I think a lot of um, pe sports people really have to grapple with. And um, if I had fused my identity to being a runner, it would have been incredibly problematic for me when I got that diagnosis. Um, but I'd been really careful in knowing that probably because because of the reoccurring injuries, I kind of had a sense, I think, foreboding um, that I needed to start reframing my identity and understanding that I was a lot more than it, the accomplishments that I was getting through through my running or that, you know, being able to finish a particular race or or the people that I knew in that particular community that I was um, so much more than that particular identity. So when I did get that diagnosis, I was ready um, to go, it's okay. Um, I still feel a lot of sadness. I must, you know, I can't gloss over the fact that when I see running events happening and I haven't been able to actually get, I used to go and volunteer a lot at running events and I haven't been able to bring myself to do that yet. So clearly there's still a bit of wound and hurt um, associated with it that I haven't quite grappled with, but um, that was a really important thing to notice in myself and the way that I understood that shift. With the Vic Divide, um, you know, that that is an incredible route mm. in Australia. Um, yeah. And I am gonna. I'm terrible at remembering the the name of the person that actually created that route. I just had to complete again, my book because the Overland Archive podcast. There. Um, oh my gosh. Anyway, go ahead. Keep going. A bit, yeah, great Victorian guy um, who I think um, is very punishing in the way that he creates routes. But again, it's that lovely thing. It's um, that people put out an offer in that bikepacking community. You know, they create a free route, make it visible for other people. So I did that outside of the formal event that they normally run Lewis with Sidor. a wonderful... Sorry, Lewis, say that again. Lewis Sidor is the, the name of the guy. Yeah, the reason. Thank you for finding his name. Full respect to him <laughs> for creating such an epic route. Um, I did that with a girlfriend and um, outside of the event in December last year, um, we had to, I didn't, I have to say the reason why I bring it up is that we didn't quite complete it. We had to deviate um, on the final day. We were planning on doing it over um, five days and I had a bike a malfunction. My uh, I wore out the brakes of my mountain bike um, and sort of realized that at the top of Mount Buller that I only had like less than 5% braking power on my um, front brake and uh, had to then descend down Mount Buller on the um, mountain biking tracks and the, you know, the, the gnarly off-road tracks that are there with, you know, this 5% of a front brake um, and my bike weighing 30 kgs 
Uh, so it was a, an epic um, experience where I f really felt like I was dicing with death. Um, <laughs> but you actually did. It I was waiting for like, so, you know, we had to call somebody and I had to, you know, sheepishly tail between my legs, drive down the mountain, but you actually rode down with 5% of brakes. Oh my God. I am terrified of mountain biking. I try so hard to really love it. You know, my husband loves doing the downhill stuff. And he's like, just don't, you know, it's not death grip. It's just a little light grip. I'm like, I am terrified. There is no other way for me to get down this hill without a death grip. So to do it with 5%, oh my God, my stomach is just. <laughs> yeah, there was definite death grip going on. Oh, <laughs> I could tell so much that. respect. <laughs> I couldn't feel sick. my hands for two weeks afterwards as well. <laughs> no, so I completely. <laughs> Yeah, I would be calling for help, I think. I'm not that level of adrenaline junkie. But it does remind me, I'm conscious of your time, right? But talking of adrenaline junkie, you were awarded the 2016 Telstra Victorian Public Sector and Academia Award. Now, I watched your acceptance speech, which was just incredibly beautiful. And I would say, do check that if you're listening. Um, we'll but can we'll you tell us about what you used to do when it comes to adrenaline ropes and bridges as a younger <laughs> woman <laughs> yeah so i mean i guess this takes it takes me back um the right back to my late teens and the sort of phase of my life where i i i, I was um just looking for any way to challenge myself um and had joined up with this rock climbing community um, with the Auckland University. And they were like, well, we've got this thing we can do called bridge jumping, um, and which basically entails, um, it's, it's thoroughly illegal. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's a, a very much a New Zealand kind of activity as well, um, where you go um, using your rock climbing skills and tie a rope to the side of a really um, high bridge. And um, then with your rock climbing harness, you rope yourself in and, and jump off the side of the bridge. Uh, you know, so it's a, generally a 50 metre fall that you'll do with 50, well, roughly 50 metre fall with a roughly 50 metre rope. And um, it's insane. Like we used to test, um, test it before we'd do the jumps with a tyre. Um, to make sure that it's going to hold the weight roughly of a human. Um, and the, the, the speech that you're talking about, that particular jump that we did was on a bridge in the South Island of New Zealand that lots of people would know called the Kaurau Bridge, which is outside of um, Queenstown where they do a lot of the jumbi, bungee jumping. Um, and to go and do that, we did it... Um, after midnight so you know obviously because it's illegal you're trying to do it at night when no one else is watching so don't recommend this at home um highly dangerous yeah, and really. only the sort of thing that a you know adrenaline junkie teenager would um think of doing but uh yeah. <laughs> lots of fun so there we go descending buller with a few like no breaks that's nothing yeah i think in um america the big thing there is like a lot of base jumping um of just climbing up to these tall things and you know just shooting your parachute out straight away and stuff phil and i always said in our next life we'll be base jumpers but I think in this one, there's a little bit too much to stick around for. <laughs> I'm scared of heights, so I've been completely useless. Yeah, Sarah's out. 
<laughs> yeah, I always said after I um after the kids have can fend for themselves, I would start doing sports like that again. But then I took my eldest son um, parachuting recently. I was, I was the youngest parachuter in New Zealand when I was eight years old. My dad, crazy guy, um took me parachuting, which I think is probably like the first hook of adrenaline activities so I always said to my son as soon as he was legal here I'd take him parachuting but I realized my uh, middle-aged constitution was no longer <laughs> up to parachuting particularly when I was throwing my child out the plane <laughs> at the same time as me um, so base jumping is probably off the cards now yeah yeah it's a little different that mental block <laughs> being 18 or 19 <laughs> versus <laughs> a lot more around <laughs> yeah that's funny <laughs> all right conscious of time and um, we do have one final question but before we ask you that Rose, is there anything else that you would like to say or bring up um no like i think that's it's been a great conversation thank you both for hosting me um, oh, no, thank you. yeah thank you well you don't get to go just yet we yeah. do have one highly intellectual <laughs> question <laughs> so just to frame this um i have been coaching a group of primary school girls mountain biking on the trails here on the sunshine coast and the session's just an hour but they can't make it through the hour without needing to use the facilities but there's nothing so they always say jackie sarah can we go for a wild wee <laughs> so our question to you is what is your wildest wee Far out. There's been so many wild wees. Um, <laughs> I love it when that's the preference yeah. of yeah, the yeah. answer. Yeah. <laughs> what did you Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I look, I, uh, my wildest wee is probably my, the most difficult one, which was um, doing coast to coast where there's a, the paddle is 80, I think it's 60 or 80 kilometers. One of, one of those um, down a pretty crazy white water for, for me, crazy white water. And uh, you have to wee, everyone tells you, you need to wee in the, in the boat um, because you obviously can't get out unless you fall out. And, you know, the paddle takes for me, uh, you know, it was like six hours or something like that. And so my wildest wee was, was actually trying to convince myself that I could wee in a boat um, and uh, in the middle of the river, really tough thing to do, uh, particularly with the adrenaline of going down, you know, whitewater rapids and things. But uh, yeah, managed to do it. Well, weed in the boat and I also survived the paddle leg. Wow. <laughs> That's reminiscent of uh, Cecilia's as well, peeing in her wetsuit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough one, <laughs> peeing in the boat while you're going down rapids. I'm pretty sure like your entire body just tells you no in that situation. <laughs> The worst thing is for the poor handlers who help you out of the boat at the end of the kayak. I just feel like I hope they don't breathe in because probably everyone's stinking of urine um, at the end of the leg. It's glamorous, this uh, adventure stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, We're pretty much a walking advertisement for it. <laughs> awesome. Well, if people want to find you online, is there anywhere that you would direct them? Yeah, just um, probably only um, Instagram, so at Rowan Brooks, and uh, that's pretty much me with social media. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. I really hope that lockdown ends for you as soon as it can, and we just, that was such a fun chat. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Rowan. Thanks, thanks so much. See you later. Thank you. See ya. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Into the Wee Hours podcast. 
To get in touch, you can find us on Instagram at Into the Wee Hours Podcast or email us at Into the Wee Hours Podcast at gmail.com. Sarah is all the gear, nay idea, and that is N A E for all you non Scots people. And Kristen is at Kristen Vaughton on Instagram. To read the show notes or to find out more about fast packing and bike packing workshops, visit intothewehours.com or follow at intothewehours on Instagram and Facebook. Happy adventuring and we'll talk to you next time.